Chapter Two of Abraham Lincoln: A History, Volume Eight. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Abraham Lincoln: A History, Volume Eight, by John Hay. Chapter Two: Habeas Corpus. The decision of Chief Justice Taney in the Merriman case led to a wide discussion of the constitutional principles involved in the suspension of the privilege of habeas corpus. Attorney General Bates, the principal law officer of the government, in an elaborate review of the matter, gave as his opinion that, in a time like the present, when the very existence of the nation is assailed by a great and dangerous insurrection, the president has the lawful and discretionary power to arrest and hold in custody persons known to have criminal intercourse with the insurgents or persons against whom there is probable cause for suspicion of such criminal complicity and in summing up the case he said to my mind it is not very important whether we call a particular power exercised by the president a peace power or a war power for undoubtedly he is armed with both he is the chief civil magistrate of the nation and being such and because he is such he is the constitutional commander-in-chief of the army and the navy and thus within the limits of the constitution he rules in peace and commands in war and at this moment he is in the full exercise of all the functions belonging to both these characters in the general discussion which this question excited a strict party line divided the advocates of the union and the publicists who adhered to the democratic party theophilus parsons lent the great weight of his name and learning to the side of the executive joel parker wrote an elaborate treatise on the same side and the venerable horace binney in an exhaustive pamphlet sustained to the fullest extent this power which the president had considered it his duty under the constitution to exercise in language whose simple vigor recalls the style of mr lincoln himself mr binney said it is not a season for the judicial trial of all persons who are implicated in the rebellion it cannot be while the rebellion lasts to arrest and try even those who are openly guilty and are taken with the red hand would in many places be fruitless and only aggravate the evil the methods and devices of rebellion are infinite they are open or covert according to necessity or advantage in arms or as spies emissaries correspondents commissaries proveditors of secret supplies and aids their name is sometimes legion all treasonable and many of them disguised or lying hid a part of this disguise may sometimes be detected and not often the whole an intercepted letter an overheard conversation a known proclivity an unusual activity in unusual transactions in munitions or provisions or clothing a suspicious fragment and no more without the present clue to detection may appear not enough for the scales of justice but abundantly sufficient for the precautions of the guardian upon his watch such are the universal accompaniments of rebellion and constitute a danger frequently worse than open arms to confront it at once in the ordinary course of justice is to ensure its escape and to add to the danger yet the traitor in disguise may achieve his work of treason if he be permitted to go on and if he is just passing from treason in purpose to treason in act his arrest and imprisonment for a season may save both him and the country 
we will add also the words in which mr binney closes his admirable treatise as probably nothing can be found which was written upon the subject sounder in law or clearer in expression the conclusion of the whole matter is this that the constitution itself is the law of the privilege and of the exception to it that the exception is expressed in the constitution and that the constitution gives effect to the act of suspension when the conditions occur that the conditions consist of two matters of fact one a naked matter of fact and the other a matter of fact conclusion from facts that is to say rebellion and the public danger or the requirement of public safety whichever power of the constituted government can most properly decide these facts is master of the exception and competent to apply it whether it be congress or the president the power can only be derived by implication as there is no express delegation of the power in the constitution and it must be derived to that department whose functions are the most appropriate in it congress cannot executively suspend all that a legislative body can do is to authorize suspension by giving that effect to an executive act and the constitution having authorized that there is no room for the exercise of legislative power the constitution intended that for the defense of the nation against rebellion and invasion the power should always be kept open in either of these events to be used by that department which is the most competent in the same events to say what the public safety requires in this behalf the president being the properest and the safest depositary of the power and being the only power which can exercise it under real and effective responsibilities to the people it is both constitutional and safe to argue that the constitution has placed it with him constant and elaborate efforts were made in congress to define the limits of the executive prerogative in this direction and they were not entirely confined to the democratic party even so staunch a republican as lyman trumbull offered a resolution on the twelfth of december eighteen sixty one instructing the secretary of state to inform the senate whether any persons had been arrested and imprisoned in the loyal states of the union and if so under what law such action had been taken this resolution was on the sixteenth referred to the judiciary committee a proceeding equivalent to its rejection by a vote of twenty-five to seventeen six republican senators voting with the democrats in the minority but it was of course from the other side of the house that the most frequent and most vehement attacks upon this exercise of executive power were directed james a bayard james a mcdougall and others seized every opportunity of bringing the question forward with the uniform result of seeing their resolutions buried by a reference to the committee of the judiciary early in the year eighteen sixty two however the president issued an order through the war department referring to the critical circumstances of the country through the past year which in his opinion had justified the resort to extraordinary measures of repression and then went on to say that a favorable change of public opinion had occurred that the line between loyalty and disloyalty was now plainly defined that apprehensions of public danger and facilities for treasonable practices had diminished with the passions which prompted heedless persons to adopt them that the insurrection was believed to have culminated and to be declining in view of these facts and anxious to favor a return to the normal course of administration so far as regard for the public welfare would allow 
the president directed that all political prisoners or state prisoners then held in military custody be released on their subscribing to a parole engaging them to render no aid or comfort to the armies in hostility to the united states the Secretary of War was authorized to accept from the effect of this order any persons detained as spies in the service of the insurgents, or others whose release involved any danger to the public safety. As the principal criticisms of Congress had been directed against the action of the Secretary of State in making arbitrary arrests, the President, in this general order, announced that extraordinary arrests would hereafter be made under the direction of the military authorities alone and on the 27th of February, the President issued a further order appointing Major General Dix and the Honorable Edwards Pierpont of New York to examine the cases of state prisoners remaining in the military custody of the United States, and to determine whether, in view of the public safety and the existing rebellion, they should be discharged or remain in military custody, or be remitted to the civil tribunals for trial the tendency of all civil wars is to accumulate arbitrary power in the hands of the government the temptation to abuse of power is generally too great to be resisted by those who wield control of the constabulary and the army in times of civil tumult we believe there is no instance in history with the exception of the one we are now considering where the government sustained by a large majority of the citizens its physical force supplied by a devoted army and its hands upheld by the enormous moral support of a loyal judiciary has voluntarily relinquished the great powers freely confided to it and has from the beginning to the end of a great war continually restricted the application of its powers and diminished instead of increasing the frequency of its resort to arbitrary measures once again in the autumn of eighteen sixty two on account of the necessity of enforcing the draft which had then been ordered in several states and restraining the action of disloyal persons tending to hinder this measure the president ordered that during the existing insurrection and as a necessary measure for suppressing the same all rebels and insurgents their aiders and abettors within the united states and all persons discouraging volunteer enlistments resisting military drafts or guilty of any disloyal practice affording aid and comfort to the rebels against the authority of the united states should be subject to martial law and liable to trial and punishment by court-martials or military commission and that the writ of habeas corpus was suspended in respect to all persons arrested or imprisoned by the military or by the sentence of court-martials on the twenty second of november eighteen sixty two an order from the War Department directed that all persons then in military custody who had been arrested for discouraging volunteer enlistments, opposing the draft, or for otherwise giving aid and comfort to the enemy, in states where the draft had been made, or the quota of volunteers and militia had been furnished, should be discharged from further military restraint. When Congress came together, in December of the same year, there was a disposition among the Republican majority to put an end to the discussion of the question as to whether the President was authorized to suspend the privilege of the writ of habeas corpus by expressly granting him such authority. On the 8th of December, Thaddeus Stevens introduced a bill to indemnify the President and other persons for suspending the privilege of the writ of habeas corpus and acts done in pursuance thereof, and after its second reading, 
moved that its consideration be made the special order for the next thursday ensuing this motion was objected to upon which in his energetic not to say arbitrary manner he instantly moved the previous question and thus being sustained the bill was read the third time and passed it was a bill of great and far-reaching importance it not only provided for full indemnity for all arrests and imprisonments made under the authority of the president but it also provided that the president under the existence of the rebellion might suspend at discretion the privilege of the writ it passed the house by a vote of ninety to forty-five exactly two to one upon which thirty-six of the minority made a vehement and passionate protest which however was not permitted to be entered upon the journal of the house the bill went to the senate and there after some inconsiderable amendments it passed that body by a vote of thirty-three to seven on the twenty-seventh of january and the house having refused to concur in the amendments the committee of conference agreed upon a report which was accepted in both chambers in the house by a majority of ninety-nine to forty-five and in the senate without a record of yeas or nays by this bill which was signed in the closing hours of the session on the third of march eighteen sixty three it was provided that during the rebellion the president of the united states whenever in his judgment the public safety might require it was authorized to suspend the writ of habeas corpus in any case throughout the united states or any part thereof whenever the privilege should be suspended no military or other officer should be compelled in answer to any writ of habeas corpus to return the body of any one detained by him by authority of the president upon such officer certifying under oath that the prisoner was detained by him under authority of the president further proceedings under the writ should be suspended by the court which had issued it so long as the suspension by the president should remain in force and the rebellion continue the second section provided for the furnishing to the courts of a list of all political prisoners and the proceedings to be taken for their discharge another section provided that the order of the president should be a defense in all proceedings in prosecution of acts contained under this law and also that such suits begun in state courts might be transferred to united states courts during the summer following the passage of the statute authorizing the suspension of the privilege of the writ the enrollment and draft of the national forces was going on the work of the officers charged with this duty was greatly impeded by the constant resort to legal expedients by drafted men and their friends and by those politicians who wished to embarrass the government by making an issue of opposition upon every executive act general fry says the action of the civil courts in the foregoing particulars threatened for a time in several districts to defeat or at least to suspend the business of raising troops and of arresting deserters and either to throw the officers of this bureau into custody or keep them so constantly before the courts as to prevent their attendance upon the duties for which they were appointed and thus to defeat the raising of an army according to the law in this state of things the president saw no course open to him except to avail himself of the powers conferred by the statute he therefore on the fifteenth of september issued a general proclamation reciting the provision of the constitution that the privilege of the writ of habeas corpus shall not be suspended unless when in cases of rebellion or invasion the public safety shall require it and the fact that a rebellion was existing on the third of march eighteen sixty three 
and that it still existed, reciting also the fact that, by the statute we have referred to, during the present insurrection, the President of the United States, whenever in his judgment the public safety may require, is authorized to suspend the privilege of the writ, and that, in the judgment of the President, the public safety then required that the privilege of the writ should be suspended throughout the United States, in cases where persons are held under the command of the government as prisoners of war, spies, or aiders and abettors of the enemy, or as soldiers or deserters, or for offenses against the military service. And after this preamble, which proclaimed and made known to all whom it might concern that the privilege of the writ of habeas corpus was suspended throughout the United States in the several cases before mentioned, and that this suspension would continue throughout the duration of the rebellion, or until that proclamation should be revoked, he formally called on all civil and military officers of the United States to take distinct notice of this suspension and to give full effect to it, and on all citizens of the United States to conduct and govern themselves accordingly. The controversy as to whether Congress or the President was the authority in whose discretion lay the suspension of the privilege of the writ of habeas corpus was thus finally set at rest by the concurrent act of both. The President's authority was never, after this, seriously questioned, and it was used with such moderation and reserve that few just occasions for complaint arose under the law. Military governors appointed by the President were invested with like authority. The letter of appointment gave them authority to exercise and perform, within the limits of their state, all the powers, duties, and functions pertaining to the office of military governor, including the power to establish all necessary offices and tribunals, and to suspend the writ of habeas corpus during the pleasure of the president, or until the loyal inhabitants of the state should organize a civil government in conformity with the Constitution of the United States. The action of Congress and the President in this regard was justified by the civil courts. Perhaps the most important case under the Act was that of George W. Jones, who had formerly been a United States Senator and Minister to Bogota. He had been arrested by the order of the Secretary of State and imprisoned at Fort Lafayette. After being released, he brought a suit for false imprisonment, claiming large damages. Under the provisions of the Act of March 3rd, Mr. Seward moved by his counsel to transfer the case to the United States Circuit Court. This motion was denied by the Court of First Instance, but a majority of the Supreme Court of New York affirmed the constitutionality of the Act and dismissed the case. The greatest care was taken by the President to restrain the officers acting under his authority from any abuse of this tremendous power. He watched over this with increasing vigilance as the war went on. The Senate having, on motion of Mr. Powell, adopted resolutions directing the Secretary of War to inform the Senate whether he had complied with the injunction of the Act to lay lists of persons imprisoned under executive authority before the United States courts, the Secretary promptly replied, transmitting the report of the Judge Advocate General, showing that all possible vigilance had been used in complying with the terms of the law. The rules were necessarily incomplete. The offenses with which the prisoners were charged were frequently indefinitely stated, 
and instead of specifying the particular officers by whom arrests were made the president and secretary of war assumed the responsibility in all cases although the arrests were generally made by military commanders and provost marshals without any intervention on the part of the president or secretary those arrested for military offenses were tried with the greatest possible expedition and generally with a strict regard to equity and law several commissions were actively engaged in investigating the cases of the prisoners and releasing them whenever it could be done without prejudice to public safety frequent inspections of military prisons were made and not only the errors incident to the use of such enormous authority in times of civil war were corrected as soon as discovered but in hundreds of instances men guilty of positive offences who manifested some sense of awakened conscience were dismissed without punishment on the twentieth of june eighteen sixty four general c c augur commanding the department of washington issued stringent orders against any arrests in that department except in extreme cases where there was no doubt of guilt and notifying all his subordinates that they would be held responsible for any abuse of authority on the part of their employees these acts were the subject of the most energetic denunciation on the part of the confederate leaders and their sympathizers all over the world yet the most arbitrary acts of the federal government bore no comparison to those which marked the daily administration of affairs in the south on the first of march eighteen sixty two jefferson davis by virtue of the power invested in him by law to declare the suspension of the writ of habeas corpus in states threatened with invasion proclaimed martial law over richmond and for ten miles around following it with numerous arrests and imprisonments on the eighth of april following he issued a proclamation extending martial law over east tennessee and suspending all civil jurisdiction and the writ of habeas corpus the next month he issued a like proclamation extending it over six counties in virginia the year before this he had issued a general proclamation of banishment against all the adherents of the union in the south warning them to depart from the confederate states within forty days of the date of that proclamation under penalty of being treated as alien enemies if they should remain severe cruelties were practiced upon the loyal population of east tennessee from the outbreak of the rebellion until the last year of the war and were stimulated by the orders of j p benjamin while he was acting as secretary of war in the autumn of eighteen sixty one the confederate congress followed the example of the congress of the united states in passing a bill for the general suspension of the writ of habeas corpus in february eighteen sixty four at the request of jefferson davis the privilege of the writ was formally suspended during the present invasion of the confederate states by both houses of the richmond congress but to guard against any abuse of the power thus given to mr davis a series of cases authorizing the suspension of the writ was enumerated in the act of such variety and scope that any caprice or suspicion of power might easily be gratified under it End of chapter 2